there. Hello, it's Alan Fasfeld speaking, and you're listening to the second episode of the Urban Astronomer Podcast third season. Today's episode rolls out a few hours late because I've had a wild couple of days, and I, I hope you'll forgive me. But we are never returning to the dark days of season one, where we just limped along, never performing on time, and also refusing to die. And if you're confused by this, if you've been waiting a week for this episode and I'm going on about hours, just remember that we are every second week, not weekly. That's been the commitment ever since season two began, because I found in my own case that I just couldn't deliver more often than that. So if you weren't aware, because you knew or you'd just forgotten, then I'm sorry, I should have reminded you when the season launched. But now you know. Now, a week or two ago, we were featured on Podcast Insider, where Todd Cochran interviewed me about this show, where it came from and what we do here. If you'd like to give it a listen, I'll post the link in the show notes. It was a nice chat, though, and I enjoyed it, and I figure you will too. And if you found the show through Podcast Insider, then hi, nice to have you around, and I hope you like what I do, and that you'll stick around. Now, today's episode is the first Science Explaining Bits of the season, and it's another basic classic topic, leap years. As a reminder, I love looking at the questions that seem simple because we think of them as the sorts of things that children ask their parents. But the thing about these questions is that they are never simple. These are things that humanity took centuries or longer to figure out and that most of us still don't really understand because we first asked these questions as kids ourselves and we got the sort of answer which people give small kids and we never asked again. Last season, we talked about things like the tides and what happens if you shoot a gun in space and why is it that we sometimes see the moon shining during the daytime when everybody knows it's a nighttime thing. And today, we talk about leap years. Back when I was first planning the season, before the world went mad, I had scheduled this episode to air mid-February when leap years were going to be all topical and current. Well, that boat has sailed, but it's still something worth talking about because it's a lot more complicated and interesting than people realize. And, yeah, wow, yeah, okay. I realize that saying things are more interesting than people realize is a big flapping red flag that what you're about to hear is actually incredibly boring, but just bear with me, okay? I, I think I can make this interesting. So the question is simply, why do we have leap years? And the short answer is, because if you think about it, it would be an amazing coincidence if the time that it takes for the Earth to complete one orbit around the Sun was an exact multiple of the time that it takes for the Earth to complete a single rotation around its axis. I mean, why should it? These are two completely separate things that the Earth does, and they're not really connected at all, except in the most tenuous, technically correct, but practically meaningless way. And this means that the number of days in a year will never be a perfect whole number. The actual length of a year is 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46.08 seconds. But we can't divide days up into fractions because days are a physical phenomenon. It's the time that it takes from one sunrise to another. If we were to say that a year is exactly 365 days, then everything would seem fine at first, and we'd celebrate New Year's Eve at midnight and then proceed to get on with the year. 365 days and 6 hours later, it's New Year's Eve which we celebrate at around 6 a.m. on the 1st of January. And then the next year, we'd be celebrating at noon, and then the next year at 6 p.m., and after four years, New Year's Eve would be at midnight on the 1st of January, not on the 31st of December. Every four years, our New Year's celebrations would be pushed back another day along the calendar. Now, apart from our usual instincts to not mess with tradition or change the systems that we grew up with unless they actively hurt us, what's the big deal? Why does it matter? Well, it depends on what your calendar is meant to achieve. Why do we track the date at all? 
where do calendars come from? Who was the first person to decide to start numbering days and counting years? And why did they do it? And how do they even figure out how long a year is? So to my understanding, there are two types of calendar. Some cultures, for whatever reasons, peg their system of dates and times to the moon, while others tie it to the sun. If you are on a lunar calendar, then it's all very simple. When you see that razor-thin crescent of a recently new moon setting low in the west shortly after the sun dips below the horizon, then the old month has ended and a new month has begun. The moon takes a little over 29 days to complete one circuit of the sky, so a month is usually 29 days and occasionally 30 days. You have leap days to compensate for when the fractions add up to an extra day, but they're not formally measured or defined, they just happen and you roll with it. But if you're planting crops, you need to know when spring starts, when the rainy season starts, and when the frosts are going to come. So agricultural societies need something a little more precise and a little more long-term. They need a calendar so that they know when the year begins and which they can then use to record when the season starts. And it turns out that if you spend time looking at the sky, watching the sun and the moon and the stars and paying proper attention, because maybe you believe that they are the gods who control the cycles of nature, or maybe because you already follow a lunar calendar and you've noticed that the sun stays low and cold in winter. If you do all this, you notice patterns. You notice how the constellations that you've been telling stories about each night move over time. Each month, they rise a little earlier, and as the year passes, new ones appear to fill the gaps that they just vacated. And eventually, the old constellations reappear on the other side of the sky, as if the sky were a huge sphere and the stars are painted on its interior and the whole thing slowly rotates around the Earth. And you notice that the positions of the constellations are the same each season, that one is always high in the sky at sunset in midsummer, but low in the west in autumn. And while you don't know what stars are or, or how the Earth moves through space around the sun, you do start making connections and noticing more and more of these patterns. And now you have the beginnings of a calendar which you can pass down through the generations. When the constellation of the three zebra being stalked by the lion appears over the mountains to the west, it's time to plant your fields. When other constellations reach other landmarks, it's time to harvest. You can start to predict when the herds will pass by and when the rains will come. And because this is such useful, powerful knowledge that can make the difference between thriving, surviving and dying, you might find yourself paying more and more attention, trying to make your predictions more accurate. Maybe you take the logical next step of thinking that, well, if the stars can tell us when it's going to rain, maybe they can also tell us about other things. And humans being so good at spotting patterns even when they don't exist, you start linking events to personal fortunes or politics or your relationships with other tribes and cultures. And, well, you invent astrology. But eventually... If you need the precision, you will figure out that the year is not just 12 and a bit months, but that it's actually 365 days. And over the decades or centuries, as your elders start noticing that the rains and seasons seem to be coming later than they did when they were young, it might even become apparent that even 365 days still isn't exactly right. So that's a very generic and hypothetical look at how any particular culture might see things over time. But the dominant calendar across much of the world today, and the one that I assume you're using when you ask about leap years, is based on one put in place by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. For various reasons, tied to the practical requirements of managing an empire so large that it took months to get a message from one end to the other, the Romans needed a properly accurate calendar. 
a standard calendar so that if an order was sent to a province to deliver a shipment of grain or mobilize an army or whatever empires do, and to do so on a specific day, then there could be no confusion. Everybody would be able to build an observatory to note exactly when the sun reached its northernmost point in the sky, something that works on the same principles as Stonehenge and the countless other hinges scattered across Europe, um, and they would be able to obey those orders on the correct dates and their actions would be synchronized with everybody else's and the empire would work. So Julius Caesar gave the order and astronomers and mathematicians got together to consult the records and make their observations and do their calculations. And they worked out that a year is exactly 365.25 days long. And that to make a practical allowance for that core today, you get three standard years, which will have 365 calendar days, and one leap year, which has 366 days. They dealt with lunar months not fitting exactly into the year by simply making months longer so that you can have exactly 12 months in a year and no longer linking those months to the phases of the moon. And it worked pretty well. It still wasn't perfectly accurate though, and the problem with the old 365 days in a year system in which you gain a day every four years has been reduced, but not entirely eliminated. Under the Julian calendar, you now only gain a day every 128 years. So, after a few centuries, astrologers and religious leaders would have started to notice that the calendar had drifted by a few days. Now, to most people, this might not seem to matter. Who cares if winter starts on the 23rd of December when it used to start on the 21st, hundreds of years ago? Well, it certainly bothered the astrologers because their livelihoods depended on being certain about where the stars and planets were and knowing for certain where they were going to be and the church was especially concerned because it meant that they were celebrating holy festivals on the wrong day, most importantly of all, Easter. Now, I've spoken on Urban Astronomer before about how Easter is calculated. It's supposed to commemorate the day when Jesus returned from the dead, and for long and involved reasons, it had to be both tied to the Jewish festival of the Passover, and it had to be on a Sunday. So, to deal with the differences between the Jewish lunar calendar and the Roman Julian calendar, they used a system in which a different date is calculated for each year, involving the vernal equinox, the phase of the moon, and the day of the week. So, with that much variability already baked in, it didn't really matter at first that it was off by a day. But as the centuries passed, that error kept on accumulating until by the 16th century, the calendar had drifted by a full 10 days from where it was meant to be. That was unacceptable to the Catholic Church because the dates of the crucifixion and resurrection, the literal founding events of Christianity as a religion, were tied to the date of the vernal equinox, and that made that date a point of doctrine. The vernal equinox was officially when the church said it was. But you couldn't just go declaring that today's the vernal equinox when anybody with the means and education could just see quite plainly for themselves that it actually had already happened 10 days ago. It was an embarrassment and it made a farce of the whole system. So in 1545, the Council of Trent authorized Pope Paul III to begin the process of reforming the calendar and bringing everything back into alignment with reality. It was a big job and top mathematicians were recruited from around Europe to work on a solution to the problem. One of those invited, by the way, was our old friend Nicholas Copernicus, but he turned it down. He was a private, shy man, and big controversial projects like that would have made his life way too public. Anyway, the solution that they eventually settled on had two parts. First, they needed to stop the drift. And they found, after doing all their sums, that they could do this by reducing the number of leap years from 100 leap years every four centuries to 97 every four centuries. 
The old system was very simple, and that every fourth year was a leap year, but the new system added an exception to that rule, and then added an exception to the exception. So what they came up with was, the system which you still use today, was simply that any year which is divisible by 4, like 1984 or 1992, um, is a leap year. The exception is century years, like 1700, 1800, 1900. And the exception to that exception was that every fourth century year is a leap year. So 1600 was a leap year, 2000 was a leap year, and 2400 will be a leap year. With this system, you then only lose a day every 7,700 years, which means that we're not going to have to mess about with this again for a very, very long time. But the second part of the solution, that's where the trouble came in. What are we going to do about the 10 days that we've already drifted? They had stopped things from getting worse, but the calendar was still out by 10 days, and that needed to be fixed. One of the solutions that they considered was to go for a slightly different correction factor, one that would cause them to lose days over time and just let the calendar gradually, naturally drift back to its correct place. Now, from what I've managed to read on this, the debate must have been pretty intense, with competing mathematicians writing books up to 800 pages long to argue why their solution was the best. But in the end, they went for the simplest route. Simply delete the extra days. And so in 1582, Pope Gregory XIII decreed that the new calendar, which we now call the Gregorian calendar, was the new official calendar of the Roman Catholic Church. The change was enacted on Thursday, the 4th of October, by the Julian calendar, and the next day was Friday, 15th of October, in the Gregorian calendar. For many years afterwards, documents would be signed and dated in both calendars to help avoid confusion, but the change was not universally accepted. The church could only enforce this change within its own churches and structures, and in papal countries like Spain, Portugal, France, Poland, uh, Italy, Luxembourg, and a few other territories and colonies. The rest of the world? Well, remember this was a time when nations went to war over whether they were Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox or Muslim, so some pope announcing that we're all just going to delete 10 days from our lives didn't go down very well. There were protests. There was heel-dragging. Prussia only adopted the change 28 years later, in 1610. Germany, Switzerland, Norway, they all waited until 1700. Great Britain only adopted the Gregorian calendar in 1753. Russia held out until 1918. And even then, only because the new communist revolutionaries had decided that it was time to finally catch up with the rest of the world. By then, the drift had increased to 13 days. Turkey only switched over in 1926, and the last nation in the world to adopt the Gregorian calendar was Saudi Arabia in 2016. Although, to be fair, unlike the other countries I've named here, they were never on the Julian calendar. They'd been using the Islamic lunar calendar, and they didn't so much as switch over as just simply adopt Gregorian as a sort of parallel system for handling government employee payrolls and making international trade easier. And officially, even though Orthodox countries like Russia and Greece did eventually switch over, Orthodox churches still to this day use the Julian system, which is why they celebrate Easter and Christmas on different days to the rest of, of the Christian world. So, near the beginning of the segment, we wondered who would really care if the dates of things shift slowly over time. And it turns out that we all care a huge deal about it after all. Sometimes simply because it's just the way we've always done things, other times because it directly affects something deeply important to us, and sometimes 
sometimes it's just politics. Well, I hope that clears things up nicely for you. If you have anything to say about this episode, please let me know with a quick email to podcast at urban-astronomer.com. And if you don't like email, tweet me at uastronomer. Now, if you liked it, then why not subscribe in your favorite podcast app? Or if you don't have one of those, use the email subscribe button on our website at www.urban-astronomer.com to have a listen link delivered to your mailbox as soon as each episode goes live. And while you're there, if you're feeling generous, why not consider pledging your support for a small cash donation every month on our Patreon account? Just follow the links and pledge a few dollars. That money goes into the kitty for whenever we need new audio equipment or we've got to travel out to an interview or whatever. And if you're not in a position to do that but still want to help, you can also just share a link to the show with a friend or leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher or whatever directory you used to find us originally. Anyway, the next episode will go live on the 23rd of June, and it features a conversation with Carol Boerter. Carol is a South African amateur astronomer who also happened to be such a big fan of SLU's remote telescope service that she was the very first person ever to achieve their vaunted Hubble status. But she's long been a quiet but insistent figure in South African astronomy, so I was very pleased when she agreed to talk to us. So, that's a date then. Join Carol and I on the 23rd of June for a chat about how she got into astronomy, what she does now, and how to join her. But until then, thank you for listening. We'll meet again in two weeks. Cheers, guys. (music) 